How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome to my hotel room in Las Vegas for another edition of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com. And anywhere you download podcasts, I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me, we got former University of Hawaii player and coach, Spectrum Sports Analyst, Rich Miano. We got former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman, Mr. Everything, RJ Hollis. And guys, that was a game this past weekend on the Ninth Island that is one that definite hit a punch to the gut to the fan base to the team to anyone involved with University of Hawaii football a 27 to 13 loss to UNLV it was a battle for last place in the Mountain West Conference West Division and one that really the running Rebels ran away with in the second half on their way to victory Uh, one that means that the University of Hawaii football team will not have a winning season this year this is a season that will not end with a bowl game as the University of Hawaii now out of bowl contention. They can't finish with a winning record for a fourth consecutive season here for the University of Hawaii, something the program hasn't done since 2004. And so there's a lot to talk about in regards to what happened in this game where the University of Hawaii is upset despite 10 plus thousand fans in attendance at Allegiant Stadium supporting the road team. Um, and, and it's one that means a lot moving forward as, as far as what the Rainbow Warriors are trying to accomplish here in 2021 and beyond. And so first things first, uh, Rich Miano, your biggest takeaway from this game, uh, uh, one that we saw explosiveness on the first play of the game for the University of Hawaii, a 79-yard touchdown from Shevin Cordero to Nick Mardner. And then from that moment on, especially offensively, there was not much more left for University of Hawaii fans to cheer for. Yeah, uh, well said, Rob. I think, you know, after that first 79-yard post pattern broken tackle touchdown, I mean, the fans were still filtering into the stadium, but there were enough of them where the Hawaii fans were rocking that house like it was a home game or at least a neutral site. And, you know, we were excited because we have talked about this vast potential for this offense, the ability for Nick Mardner to, uh, you know, take the top off of defense, Shevin Cadero to make that throw, the offensive line to protect, and they did it. And so then, you know, we're expecting, hey, all of our, you know, the one wish and our one dream is still ahead of us, and that's to win these three. Let's take them one at a time. But when you look at the rest of that offensive performance and then you look at the fact that the defense did what they needed to do yeah sure Chuck Chuck Wagon had over 100 yards in the first half rushing so he had a little bit of his but there were three turnovers inside plus territory that were converted for three points and I've been on teams where we've led the uh, NFL in defense I've been coaching teams that we had phenomenal defenses when you are on the field for a two to one 40 minutes to 20 minutes in terms of time of possession. When you turn the ball over to your offense and put them in great field position, they come away with only three points. It's fatiguing both mentally and physically, especially when you're coming off four quarters of a fatigued offense that, you know, was kind of inept. And then here we go again. So I think eventually that dam kind of broke down. And it's sad to see because it's still such a pleasure and so worth the price of admission to see Corey Bethley, to see Darius Morrisau, to see that defense trying. And uh, obviously they had some struggles in that second half. And then the special teams comes up with their first big play of the season. And there's probably been seven or eight against them, but they block a field goal. It's a one score game. There's still that hope on that last drive. And then uh, 
it was deflating, Rob, to realize that there are no dreams left and to realize the talent of this football team and, and these seniors that are not going to get to go to a bowl game. It's a travesty. It's, uh, it's really hard. Uh, you know, you talk about a Max Holloway 3,000 strikes. It seemed like this season's been about 3,000 strikes to anyone that enjoys uh, an efficient offense. Yeah, absolutely. And R.J. Hollis, Rich brought it up, three turnovers in the first half. Um, really, I think it's three turnovers in the first quarter. Yeah. And uh, the University of Hawaii only able to get three points out of it. How demoralizing was that, you think, in this game where the defense is forcing those turnovers, putting the offense not only back on the field, but in scoring position each time? It's not like these picks were, were made in their own territory. Uh, you know, UNLV marching down and gets a pick on the five-yard line going the other way. I mean, this is you're getting the ball on your side of the field each time and only able to walk away with three points. Uh, how, how much of that was kind of setting the University of Hawaii up at that point of, you know, you're in Vegas, you're chasing money at that point. Yeah, um, it, it was a lot, Rob. And I think I, it may sound weird saying it, but the biggest, you know, disappointing factor of the offensive performance came because I went down to take a bite of my chicken sandwich and looked up and we had six. I couldn't even see the first touchdown that happened so fast. And that was from 79 yards. So when, you know, you get the kickoff and it's a fair catch, you start from the 25. That's 75 yards. So you're starting behind normal field position and you score faster than I can bite my chicken sandwich. Then that's the last score I see for the remaining, you know, Bit of that game, that that is what makes it the most disappointing, Rob. I think when you see, when you know the talent that this team has, and they showed it. You know, Day-Day Hunter had some great runs yesterday. You know, not the, the ones that took it all the way to the house, but you've seen some hard running. You've seen, you know, Nick Mardner do his thing with those deep routes, and he even had almost another 100-yard game off of two to three catches, I believe. So I think the biggest disappointment comes when the talent shows itself and then it disappears. If UH never scores to begin with, then maybe you just chalk it up as they threw in the towel, they didn't have the juice, they weren't ready, whatever you could tell yourself, because at the end of the day, if you don't score at all, then you could chalk that up to just being an entire game. You know, kind of putting things in a, not a blame, so to speak, but in its entirety, the offense never worked. That's a lot easier to tell yourself than to watch a six-second play, go 79 yards for a touchdown, and then that's the last touchdown you see for the rest of the game. So I think that's the biggest disappointment, Robin. Kind of what's been echoed all season about the offense. The talent is here. You know, the, the, the plays have been made. They're just not made on a consistent basis. They're not made from first quarter to fourth quarter. You know, you may get one now, you may get one then, but it's not consistent. And I think that's the biggest disappointment with the offense is that if you score faster than I can bite my chicken sandwich and then don't score again for the rest of the game, that leaves a lot to be questioned. That leaves a lot to be critiqued and criticized because you showed the evidence that it works. If you never showed it, then okay, we could just say you're not built for it or you're not ready or whatever, but you score that fast and then never score again, that is probably the biggest disappointment is that it was there. It was almost to the point where you thinking UH is going to run away with it 49-28 and then you get outscored 27 to six after your first quick strike. Hey, hey Rob, I think RJ's just disappointed because after that first bite of that chicken sandwich, bro, he ate his dessert. 
He had to wait for the next meal. He ate the next meal. There was still no touchdowns. There was still, you know, lack of offense. So he went. That's a big guy to have two meals without another touchdown. That right? is, and you know that's what? True. I think my first bite, the chicken sandwich was so good. I did that extra long eye close like us fat people do. <laughs> like, mm. And then I opened it. And they're like, oh, Kanoi Lay's going crazy. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What happened? Why we got six points? <laughs> so. hey, 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 Rob, is this a commercial for Jack in the Box? Popeyes? Yeah, it sounds like that that sandwich for, food. I'm getting hungry listening to RJ talk about this horrible football game we watched. But, yeah. you know, when it comes to the offense, I mean, let's go over the numbers real quickly. Uh, Shevin Cordero. Quarterback for the Rainbow Warriors, 10 to 23, 183 yards passing. He had that touchdown that we talked about that uh, came with a delicious chicken sandwich, two interceptions, <laughs> uh, three sacks. Day-Day Hunter had nine carries for 43 yards, uh, an average of almost five yards per carry. Um, Shevin Cordero, though, he gets sacked three times and, and uh, uh, just really didn't have much time really this entire game. Uh, Dedrick Parson, four carries for 12 yards. And uh, Calvin Turner had two carries for negative 13 yards. He took a big sack on on what appeared to be um, a, a creative play call that did not work out and, and really had no chance of working. At UNLV sniffed it out. And, and then when you look at the receivers for this University of Hawaii offense, Nick Mardner leads the team, four catches, 139 yards. But again, 79 yards on the very first play of the game. Calvin Turner Jr., three catches for 31 yards. And when you look at what didn't work for this offense and um, an offensive coordinator, Bo Graham, it, it's interesting because first play of the game, they go deep. When we talked to Shevin Cordero after the game, who, who was very emotional, by the way, and we'll get to that in, in just a little bit, but he had talked about all week they knew that they could go deep against this team. And so the, the call was, the, the, the play was called, they executed, and it was a touchdown, and they knew that that was going to happen. They were confident that they would be able to do that. After that play, though, we never really saw it again, right? We never saw them attempt to go deep again. And if there was this confidence that they could beat UNLV deep, um, you know, they, they went away from it. And, 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 I, and I'll be the first to say that there, there was protection issues. And so you saw Cordero take steps back and, and looking downfield and was either getting sacked or flushed out of the pocket and he had to run for his life. And so it would be unfair to say that they never called another deep shot again because I think they did. They just never had an opportunity to, to, to throw the ball, right? And then you look at Day Day Hunter where he's averaging – 4.8 yards per carry and I know a lot of people are upset uh, at the end of the game of calling four running plays uh, with the game on the line um, you know with that being said if you can't throw the ball because you're getting sacked every time you try or receivers are dropping it and you haven't been executing that part of the game since the first play of the game you have been picking up almost half a first down every time Day Hunter carries the ball, you know, I, it makes sense that you would feel confident that, okay, we can get a first down if we just give the ball to Day Day because that's what he's been doing all, you know, when we have been calling this play. But when you look at just the total of plays that the, the offense had because the number of three and outs, and it, it's mind-boggling how ineffective this offense was because just when you look at how – that first play worked and it's like, okay, there's something there. 
but then you're not able to do it for the rest of the game. And then you look at Day-Day and like, okay, he's picking up five yards per carry, but when the game mattered most and the game was on the line, he couldn't get those yards. And so what do we look at, Rich, in regards to inability of the offense? Why did this happen against UNLV? Why was the offense as bad as it was against San Diego State? Why are we in this place now to where no matter what you call, no matter what it is, this offense just isn't working. Yeah, Rob, whether, you know, consistency is probably the key word. Identity is, you know, people talk about that. You know, when you look at a lot of offenses, they script the first 10 plays, the first 15 plays. You look at offensive coordinators that are able to sequence plays, certain things set up other things. Uh, when you look at, you know, certain offenses, how they attack defenses on all of the study they do during the week in terms of what do they do on third and five plus what do they do on second and short you know so you're kind of predicting what type of defenses they'll be in and then you have the veteran quarterback Shevin Cordero that can hopefully change a run that's going to the right versus pressure to the left side can check out of a you know an empty box into you know a running play or a full box into a passing play when you know you have man coverage you know you talk about RPOs you know there's RPGs there's all kinds of things you can do but Rob I think we, when we talked to Todd Graham and, and I, before the game, there is something about this offensive staff that he alluded to, and maybe it was budget, maybe it was structurally, maybe it's something he's thinking about doing, is, is having a veteran coach that has been around this air raid type of offense uh, because they seem to have gotten away from some of the things they did well last year, which was some – simple run-and-shoot concepts that Chevin Cadero is uh, very familiar with. So I think structurally you, you may see some changes, not necessarily this week, but in this offseason to this offensive staff. I think uh, the head coach recognizes the importance of getting maybe a, a more senior type of uh, leader for this offense. So it'll be interesting what they do because – They've played well enough defensively, and there is structural changes that need to happen in the, in, with the special teams, and he alluded to that as well. Um, so I think you're going to see some important changes, if not this week, this offseason. Uh, but at the same time, that remains to be seen, and uh, we'll see what the changes are because you have a whole offseason of making sure Chevron Cordero is happy because of the transfer portal and because of – the ability to leave, you have to continually recruit your own players. When you're not going to a bowl game, when you're not winning football games, when you're not an efficient and effective offense, you really got to worry about the offensive side of the ball in terms of underclassmen want to continue possibly with the same structure. Yeah, RJ, over the course of the season, what have you seen from this offense as a whole, right? And, and I mean, we're talking players, we're talking coaches, when you see some of the creativity that even existed earlier in the season has seemed to dissipate a little bit. And, and yes, we talked about, um, you know, that there was a, a play call where Shevin takes a snap, he throws it to Calvin Turner on the outside. Calvin obviously looking downfield to throw the ball um, and, and maybe even check back and look at Shevin, who's on the other side. Of the field. And it just doesn't work out because UNLV is there and, and, and is able to sack uh, Calvin Turner Jr. Um, but when you eliminate that from the game plan, you eliminate that from the, the plays that were called, the, the creativity has, has really gone away uh, throughout the course of the season. And um, 
you know, do you see any potential in, in this offense right now, the offense that they're running right now? Like, you know, and we talked about it that uh, throughout the course of the season, right, where it's like, hey, you know, there are times it works and then there are times that the execution doesn't work. And those are two very different things. And, you know, you need to have a, a level head when you look at this. But now at this point of the year, after these last two games, how much of it is execution? How much of it is game plan? Or how much of it is both are coming up short? Uh, you, you definitely have to do 50-50 with this, Rob. And, you know, one thing I think a lot of people have kind of alluded to, especially with the, with the criticism of, of Bo Graham is that coaches can't catch, run, pass, or block. And that's something that is very true. You know, one thing they showed yesterday or showed on, on Saturday during the, the game was the graphic of the University of Hawaii defense being top five in takeaways, but being number one in giving the ball up. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I've never had a conversation with Bo Graham, but I can guarantee he does not drop a play and goes, okay, at the end of this one, we're going to throw an interception. At the end of this one, we're going to fumble the ball. That's what we're going to do. I want you to run this nice little slant pattern, get about 15 yards up on the field, and then just drop the ball. Don't even worry about it. You know, we're just going – that's a part of our creativity. So, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you do question things when you see the four run plays that are at the end of the game where you should be throwing it to catch it. You do question when you see the long pass go – first play and then it seems like nobody else ever goes but you hit it on the head you know there's protection issues there's there's catching issues there's overthrown and underthrown passes there's drop passes and at the end of the day that skews with your confidence just as much as a bad play call if I'm a coach and you know I call a nice post pattern it opens up the way I seen it when I did it in film the ball's there it hits my receiver's hands and then he drops it well, then what do you do as a coach? Because, you know, everybody's so quick to say, oh, well, you got to call this, you got to call that. But what happens when you call it, it's open and it's dropped? What happens when you call it, it's completed and it's fumbled? What happens when you call it and you need two more seconds for that receiver to make that double move and the left defensive end is in your quarterback's face? You know, so at the same time that you have the blame going to the coaches for not calling plays on certain occasions, you do not get to become the number one team in turnovers without there being lack of execution on the player's part. So I'd be a, a very one-sided analyst if I were to say it's all on coaching. There have been patches where there are plays that make you scratch your head. There have been points where you know they're going into halftime, two timeouts left, you're not aggressive at all. You just let the timeout sit there and you go into halftime. That's happened, and people are very quick to call that out. But at the same time, you do not become the number one offense in turnovers without the players not executing what they're told to do, without executing what they need to do. So at the end of the day, you can have a game plan, but like Mike Tyson said, everybody got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. And sometimes getting punched in the mouth is I run a reverse, it gets hit in the backfield. But sometimes getting punched in the mouth is I call the post, the safety split outside the numbers exactly like I think they will. Nick Martiner comes across the middle exactly like I think he will. Shevin throws that deep ball exactly like I think he will, and then it's dropped. Everybody got – yeah, but everybody got a plan to, the, to have that first chicken bite sandwich in their mouth. <laughs> exactly. If I would have bitten to my chicken sandwich and it was a bone, I'm probably not eating the rest of that sandwich. But at the end of the day, does that make it not a good sandwich? 
or does that mean that I was just careless for biting into something with a bone? It's half and half. You can't put it all on coaches, and you can't uh, put it all on players, but the offense is something that is a, a moving unit. Defense is read and react. Offense is 11 grown men moving on the same heartbeat, and if you haven't been a part of that, you have almost zero idea how difficult it is to have things be so perfectly planned that if your backside tackle doesn't do his block on a run play that's not even by him, that can ruin your play. And as a coach, how and I, how can I in good faith call another play that I just seen the ball get dropped or just seen a fumble or just seen our pass protection doesn't work? So at the same time that you have questionable calls, and there have been more than a few, you also have an ex- – now, I wouldn't say extreme – uh, no, no, no. I'd say extreme. You're number one in the country for giving the ball up. So yes. there's also been an extreme lack of execution. So I'm saying down the middle. At the end of the day, yes, your offensive coordinator does have to give you the best plan to go out on the field, but that plan has to be executed, and you cannot put execution on coaches because as long as football exists, you will never see a coach during an active game run, throw, block, pass, catch. They will never do any of those things. So if those things aren't what's going on, you can't put that on the coach. Yeah, and with, with all that, and with all that being said, it's a tough business. And like in any profession that there is, whether it's in football, whether you're working at Safeway, whether you're at the YMCA, no matter what it is, is if you're at a top position, if you're at a supervisor position, and your staff isn't getting the job done, it comes back down on you. And, right. and that's what we're seeing, right? I mean, if if uh, at KHON2, if the KHON2 sports department starts falling apart and we were posting, you know, uh, uh, illegitimate stories and all this stuff, I mean, it, it's going to come down on me, right? Because I look over that department. And so, Rich, you alluded to uh, what Todd Graham was talking about even uh, before the game uh, of needing leadership, needing a veteran leadership in that offense. I mean, at this point of the year, right, we talked about it all season long, that there's a time to talk about things like this and then there's a time not to because there are certain things that still go on within a season, right? And, and, um, but now you're looking at a team that every single goal that they set out to do and accomplish this season has now flown out the window, right? No, no winning season, no conference championship, no division championship, no bowl game, right? And those are all gone. And now you're sitting here with two games left um, do you think, Rich, that's what needs to happen at this point is that, that there does need to be more leadership on the offensive side of the ball? And we're picking on the offensive side of the ball because obviously what happened over the last couple of years or last couple of games. But then you also look at the sideline, right? I talked about it, I think, in the San Jose State game weeks ago where you know, that there's a divide, there, there's, a, there's a frustration, that whether it's coaches, whether it's players, that there's, a, there's a quick reaction to everything on the sideline. And that's, you know, a lot of that is on the defensive side because it's more emotional, right? It's led by Todd Graham, who's a very emotional guy. And so whether it's getting a turnover and that sideline is, is going bananas or, or whether it's they give up a big play and that sideline's going bananas for a different reason, right? On the offensive side of the ball, it's the opposite right, where there, there's not a lot of communication. There's not a lot of, of getting in anyone's face. There's not a lot of even discussion, right, when, when, when things go wrong. And, 
Is that a sign to you, Rich, of lack of veteran leadership to knowing what these players need on the sideline? Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, going back to what RJ was talking about, you know, I've coached for so many years. I've been around so many great coaches that one of the kind of phrases that sticks out of my head is, you're either coaching something or you're allowing it to happen. So, yeah, it's not your fault if the receiver drops the ball, but if you're the receiver coach, are you really focusing in on the concentration level? And are they on the jugs machine prior to that two-hour window, after that two-hour window? Are they really working on their craft? And that's your job as a coach to make sure they work on their craft. Yeah, sure, you're not teaching the running backs to fumble the ball, but are you doing enough drills in terms of protecting the football? And are you uh, being – so conscientious of that, you know, you, you, you're putting two hands on the ball when you need to. Same thing, it goes with Chevron Cordero. Are you teaching mechanics where he's, you know, he's throwing balls that are not accurate when he was an accurate passer? Is he not stepping up in the pocket? Is he not, you know, keeping his eyes downfield? Is he making platform throws? He's regressed mechanically. And so if that happens, that Who's the quarterback coach? Who are teaching the fundamentals to win football games? It comes back to the coaches. Like you say, Rob, these guys are professionals. They get paid a lot of money. Sure, the kids need to work harder and be more disciplined and, and, and you know, and do, do their jobs better. They're one left, so to speak. But this does come back to coaching. And this does come back to what you talked about, Rob. When you watch a quarterback come to the sidelines, and we've seen this defensively all season long with Todd Graham and his staff. Where's that huddle in terms of that quarterback should be with the quarterback coach, with the offensive coordinator, talking about what just happened, what's about to happen, and it's constant education with quarterbacks on the sidelines. It's constant education on that offensive line talking about, you know, what they're seeing in terms of stunts and fronts and all that other thing. It's constant communication, but who's the leader of that communication? Bo Graham's first-time offensive coordinator. you got a receiver coach, Marcus Davis, first year as a receiver coach. you got Ali Terry, first year as a center guard coach. you got the offensive tackle man. Who is this guy that is leading this offense that can get these guys focused, can get these guys confident? And I think it's a lack of confidence. It's a lack of focus. It's a lack of clarity. And when you have all those things, the defensive side is seeing that and they're fatigued mentally and physically. And that's why Todd Graham alluded to this many, many, many weeks ago. Sure, you can do a better job defensively getting off the field on third down. And, but they've done a good job. But the offense has to sustain drives so you're not fatigued and playing 80, 90, 100 snaps on defense. Because eventually, the more shots on goal you have, you're going to score. So going back to the overall structure, I think there's got to – there has to be a change. And I'll, I'll believe, believe me when I tell you this, Todd Graham's been around football for 30 years. He has seen what has happened on this offensive side of the ball. You talked about if you lead the nation in turnovers, there was 24 going into this game, now it's 26. If you had 25 drops going into this game, and now it's probably 30. If you had 16 penalties in the last two games on the offensive side of the ball, there wasn't as many illegal procedures stuff. But, again, that's not elite discipline. That's not elite conditioning. That's not even – mediocre conditioning or discipline. So this, Graham talked about this. There's a plethora of skilled people. He didn't talk so much about how the potential of this offensive line, but we all knew that these guys had numerous starts and numerous seasons. And yeah, sure, there's a culture change, but 
they have not even close to lived up to the expectations of the head coach, of the offensive coordinator, of the position coaches, and of themselves. You know, RJ, when you look at where they're at right now in the season, again, two games left, nothing to play for except for pride, really, right? I mean, we're just being honest. Not right now, you're just trying to stack wins so that at the end of the season and you look back at it, it doesn't look as bad as it is feeling right now. You've been a part of something like that in your playing time where you still have games left and you know that there's no bowl game, right? At least in, in 2016, you know, the University of Hawaii back-ended their way into a bowl game, you know, based on other teams not being eligible and, and all that. But you're still, at the end of the season, against UMass, I believe it was, you knew that, hey, there's an opportunity here. Like, you know, it's a glimmer of hope. And so you're still playing for something, right? This is a team that, that really, there's no hope, right, of a bowl game. You look at the Mountain West Conference records right now, and everyone's going to qualify for a bowl game, you know, in, in regards to Mountain West bowl games. And how does how do you go about this these next two weeks? And it, it, it's at practice, it, you know, it's in the locker room. Um, like, like I talked about earlier, Chevin Cordero broke down and cried at the press conference. Darius Musa was on the verge of tears. Nick Mardner was on the verge of tears. These guys, and, and that's the one thing is, is that it's easy to sit on your couch and, and say this and say that. I mean, these guys care. Okay, I don't care if you're a player, you're a coach. These guys. No one feels worse than them, okay? So it, none of this is, is uh, you know, uh, a, a coaching staff that comes from somewhere other than Hawaii and doesn't care about Hawaii and doesn't care if they win or lose. Or it, that's, not the, that's not it at all. None of these guys feel that way. The players, none of them don't care. I mean, this is a team that is hurting right now. With that being said, how difficult are these next two weeks? And how do you go about trying to keep this team together for these two weeks? And, and, and Shevin Cordero mentioned the seniors over and over again. And that's what made this hurt so bad is they wanted an extra game for the seniors and they're not getting it for the seniors. And that's why they feel so bad. Um, is it enough that they love these seniors and that's what's going to keep this team together? Or uh, again, how do you go about these next two weeks to make sure this thing doesn't go completely off the rails and over the next two weeks, you're losing by 50 points? Uh, I mean, at this point, it's, it's got to be the love. It's got to be that emotion you showed after the game was over. You know, you had your opportunity to win the game during the game, but now that it's over, you have nothing to fight for but each other. You know, I, I remember, and you know, like you said, my senior year in 2016, we edged our way into a bowl game. The year before that, my junior year, my first year starting, we played Fresno State and lost and ended up going two and nine. Now, this is a year that was pure turmoil for UH football. Norm Chow had already been fired. Chris Niolet took over as head coach, and he was winless up until that point. That game put us at two and nine. And when the game was over, everybody was just so upset that the coaches started telling people to go directly in the locker room. We know that after every game, win or loss, we do our alma mater, we go to where the band's standing. I went over there by myself, and then one walk-on came over with me, Jeremy McClam. And as they're doing the alma mater, I realize I'm the only person standing out there. Now, there were some people closer to the locker room who did turn around, but for me, that's when I started fighting purely for the university, purely for who's next to me and who's not. Coaches come and go. 
players come and go. But the legacy you have in this four- to five-year window at your university, that's going to last with you forever. Now, I don't know if you can see it on the camera, but I got a little wood plaque right here, right next to my jersey, the last jersey I ever played a game in. The title is Most Inspirational Player. Now, that offseason after we went 3-10, and 10, I had meetings with every single senior that we had coming in the next year. By the time the season started, we were a nucleus of seniors who could not be excommunicated from each other, who knew each other like the back of our hand, who could see freshmen from another position, call their senior, and have them be checked. It has to be a love from within for your university, for this game of football. You said they were crying. They got to cry. You're not okay if you play this sport. If you've seen two big dudes walking down the street, somebody says hike and they start fist fighting, you would think they are out of their rocker. You do that for 60 minutes every football game. Shevin gets railed when that ball doesn't get out fast enough. Darius Moussau has to put a mitt on his hand to play. You don't put your body through that without love being into it. And now that there's no bowl game, no trophy, no gold, no big-time Mountain West thing to play for, well, where that love at? Because if it's there for real, we'll see it these next two years. I mean, these next two weeks, excuse me. But if it's not, then you will probably see games that were like these last two games. So if it's truly love, it's truly we're going to fight to represent our university. And even if it's not what we want, we're going to do everything we can to go five and eight because we know we're better than four and nine. If that emotion was real, then for the next two weeks, we will see a charged team take that field. We will see those huddles that Richard's talking about. And if the coach doesn't initiate it, we'll see players reaching out to their coaches. What am I missing? What do I need to do? What do I need to fix? We'll see receivers talking with their quarterback. We'll see backups in the game. Not in the game playing, but in the game mentally. Hey, when the starter come out, hey, bro, watch him. He on his heels. You can get that go route. Oh, watch this receiver. Every time he ducks his head, he wants to go down the field. When you got that type of love, that type of camaraderie, then you do inch out a three-point uh, three win against UMass to get to a bowl game the following year because the love got you to that point. So if that emotion's real, then these next two weeks we'll see it. And next year, hey, whoever's still on that team, remember this moment. You know, Rich, we, we, th there's been so much discussion, and we talked about it on this show. It's obviously talked about on social media about happiness, right? Who's happy? Are the players happy right now? Are the coaches happy to be here? I mean, that's, like, that's a big storyline, right? And, and so I want to ask you, you know, when you look back at – the Nick Rolovich era and when that started, right? As RJ talks about, a successful 16. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, was it like this incredible season that everyone, you know, threw a parade for? No, no, it wasn't, right? But it was much better than it had been. And, and it was something. It was building on something, right? And then in 17, horrible season. And it was a disappointing season because of what the, you did in 16. And at the end of that season, you saw a mass exodus, right? And that was the last time that we were talking about happiness, right? People did not and, – and let's be real. Like, we're, we're misremembering history if we're going to act like Nick Rolovich was the player's coach that everybody loved and wanted to play for. No, in, in that early part, there, it was difficult for some people to go from a norm to a Rolo, right? Some embraced it. Some loved it. Some celebrated it. Some didn't. And that's why in 17, you saw, I don't even remember what the number was, but it was a big old number, 
and, and really nine starters. And it was nine and it was starters a, transferred. Yeah, and it was in a time before the transfer rules now. So you were making a huge sacrifice to get out of that program, right? And that's what happened. And so here's here's my question: Is that if at the end of the year you see a bunch of players leave, which I'm t- which will happen because that's what I'm telling you right now. Look at every losing program in the country. All right, a whole lot of players are going to transfer out. Okay, and that's just how it is. And then you look at the other side: really, really successful programs. You go look at the reserves. A whole lot are going to transfer out. That's just the the world we're living in now. So if we're going to freak out about transfers every year well then buckle up you're gonna be freaking out every year right is it a bad thing rich will it be the worst thing ever if players from the nick rolovich era decide to leave this program and and i'm not saying that and this isn't disrespect to the players but what i'm saying is you have two completely different cultures right now within one locker room and if you get more on page of what a certain culture is right now at this time is that more beneficial what i'm saying making sense yeah Yeah. so where do you stand on that rich yeah let me try to tackle this one so marcus arroyo said this about charles williams to have him buy in to have him believe in a new coaching staff when he was already an established veteran going for mountain west conference records and you know unlv rushing records that's what you need as a new coach Hey, this, you know, we've had cultural changes. Norm Chow was completely different than Greg McMacken. Nick Rolovich was completely different than Norm Chow. You're going to have players leaving. As you mentioned or alluded to, there is this transfer portal where it's so much easier and there's 2,300 kids out there right now that transferred that didn't even find a home. But if you're the backup quarterback, if you're the, you know, you don't like your position coach, if they coach you too hard, you're going to get that anyway, Rob. That's going to happen in every program in the country. Here's the difference. If you're a defensive player right now, you're saying, Todd knows defense. And I've talked to many people about this. I've watched this defense. You know, they're going to give up some big plays because they're going to attack. They're going to zero blitz. They're going to overload pressures. They're going to come from the boundary. They're bringing their corner back. But you know what? Most people like to play for that defense. Special teams, guys, kickers, punters, whatever, they're a weird kind of group anyway. But (laughs) the question remains on this offensive side, especially Shevin Cadero, and maybe some of these receivers, and maybe an offensive line or two, does Bo know offense? And is he going to be the leader next year? Because if he's the leader, I think there are going to be some conversations about leaving because of the inconsistencies because of leading the nation. Like they were went into the game last night, uh, excuse me, a couple nights ago, and they were 114th on third down defense. They were 124th on fourth down defense. We've mentioned leading the nation, the turnovers. After a two for 10 performance on third down, they may be 130th or 128th this weekend. You can't be statistically that bad in that many categories, Rob, even if you're changing the culture of a run-and-shoot offense to an air-raid offense. To me, that's all marketing. There's concepts that kind of carry over on both. Most offenses do a series of RPOs. They do a series of some type of 10-personnel run-and-shoot concepts. But you got to ask yourself if there are no structural changes to this coaching staff. And I'm not for firing anybody mid-season. I'm not for firing anybody after the season. I'm about making sure that 
Shepard Cadero, the most valuable player coming back, because Calvin Turner's not coming back. Cole Laval's not coming back. Gene Pryor's not coming back. Jared Smart's not coming back. But if that guy is not comfortable in the progression of this offense, if you don't have other players comfortable with the direction of this offense, then you're going to have an inordinate amount of guys leaving that can help you win. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I want to get to the Bose football final mailbox um, at this time, as you imagine. And we talk about this all the time, right? After a loss, a whole lot more <laughs> comments and questions than after a win. And that's just the nature, right? It is that, you know, if the Bows win, then it's you're content. And if the Bows lose, then you're not content and you want to tell people about it. And so we totally understood uh, on, on why that happens. And, you know, I'll, I'd say 90% of it is about the offense. 90% of it is, is uh, people voicing their concerns and, and their um, in, intentions to, to not want to see this offensive coordinator and Bo Graham be the offensive coordinator next season. We've talked about that and, um, in regards to, hey, you know, what needs to happen moving forward uh, – and uh, and I don't think there's any mystery there. I mean, within any within any, I mean, like you guys talked about, where Hawaii ranks offensively, and especially in turnovers and all that. I mean, I can't see that you have a, a, a side of the ball that is ranked as horribly as the University of Hawaii is, and 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 everything just stays the same, right? Things are going to happen, changes are going to be made. And, uh, you know, should they be made right now? Probably not, because when you look at the offensive side of the ball, what do you do then at that point? Abraham and Elamimian are going to call plays as the running backs coach, right? Marcus Davis and Alik Terry and Sam Bennett. Like, you know, this the offensive side of the ball is not built for a midseason change. And I think it's pretty clear to see that. And so the question now is moving forward. And we've talked about it here in this show. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to, to bring up and, and um, it, as part of the questions is there seems to be a thought that whether it's this show, whether it's radio shows, whether whatever it is, sportscast, that there's a protection of Todd Graham and this University of Hawaii staff. Um, I think anyone who listens to this show consistently Here's criticism and here's thoughts. And, and I think what separates is that there's no anger in this show, right? Because that's not our job is to get angry about what's going on. Our job is to talk about what's going on. And, and that's why there's two analysts on this show, right? To, to give your thoughts and your experiences. And, and, and it's for the fans to get angry. And so, you know, I got multiple comments and questions about why aren't you guys more upset? right? It's not our job to be upset, okay? Our job is to talk about this team, and our job is to, to and, and especially for, for you guys, to give your, your background on this football game, the many, many years of experience. And, and so I want to read one in, in specific. Uh, Sports Junkie um, writes, the media can't report the truth because they would be cut off from the program. There is a massive divide between the coaches and players. On top of that, Bo Graham has no clue what he's doing. Hard to listen to a coach with no credibility and ability to build relationships, right? And so when you look at everything we talked about in this episode, those things were touched upon, right? In regards to what we see on the sideline, 
in regards to the offense not working. But in where RJ put it perfectly is that it can't all be on one side, right? If there's lack of execution on the plays that are called, that's not on the play call, right? And then if there's play calls that are being called that aren't going to work and, and, and then, then that's one side, right? Everything is, is black and white, man, right? Not, not, or is not black and white, right? right? It's not as simple. Right. And, and so, um, Rich, I just want to hear your thoughts on this thought process of everyone protecting Todd Graham and this team right now. Do you feel that that is an issue here? Do you feel that, that there's any truth to that? No, I don't. You know, Rob, and I know personally, you know, um, I'm disappointed more so than I am angry because I think of myself as a former coach, as a talent evaluator, as somebody who's been around this program and bleeds green just like you do and RJ does. So it does hurt when they don't reach their potential or play up to their potential. But I can promise you that Todd Graham don't like me. Both Graham don't like me. And I guarantee the wife and kids don't like me either because I'm trying to be a realist. I'm trying to be honest about this equation because I could talk about special teams and Todd Graham talked about this on the day before the game. Structurally, they need a special teams coordinator because that has hurt them from winning football games. So I think that, you know, I read the newspaper, Stephen Sy. I watch your show constantly and, and, and a host of other shows and podcasts and listen to the Sports Animals and Bobby Curran show. I don't think that we're unfairly treating this coach or this staff, but at the same time, I think there is, has been criticism. There has been questioning. There has been disappointment. Um, and, and I know that by sitting in on these meetings and no longer get looked in the eye or get addressed by as rich. Uh, and, you know, there are tough questions that are being asked by Bobby Curran that were asked by Kanoa Lee, that were asked by, you know, John Venneri. Uh, so I think the media here is being fair because in, in some places on the mainland, you know, you'd be asking to get, you know, coaches get fired, you know, all these other things. That's not what we're really asking for. We're asking for structural changes that will hope to make this football team better before we lose Chevin Cordero or before we lose A.J. Bianco or before we lose on the local and the national recruiting fronts. Because Todd Graham said this, as much as you're playing in a 9,000-seat stadium that's not even half full, as much as they don't have any budget for coaches to get you know, maybe some more qualified coaches, the biggest problem is if you don't win, you can't recruit. And if you don't win, you continue to lose millions of dollars. And I really think that this is a very delicate situation we're dealing with in terms of the precariousness of this whole football program. But again, just finishing my final thought is I don't think we've been unfair to the staff. And I think that they say the same things behind closed doors as we're saying on the show. Yeah, and, and, you know, and truth be told, I don't know if it's the same group of people who are going all in together, like, hey, let's all ask this same question, right? Because got, I got a ton of them. It's really interesting, that, and they all kind of have the same element to it. And, um, you know, I, I want to ask you, RJ, about something, because I saw you light up when Rich was talking. But, you know, there's one thing I wanted to add that, that I meant to add um, earlier when I was first bringing it up was, um, you know, 
a handful of the questions were directed to being afraid of being cut off from the program and not getting access. I'll tell you right, I have zero access to this program. Okay. <laughs> so there's nothing to lose. I, you know, I, 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 we don't even go to practices, right? We can't go. We go for 15 minutes to watch them stretch to get our B roll of the stories that we're doing. Practice is closed off. Okay. I've never had a conversation with Todd Graham about something other than football right? About something other than the question that I'm asking him that day of, is this guy healthy? How do you, how are you game planning for this team? What happened in this past game? You know, like that's the only conversations I've ever had with Todd Graham, right? So, there, so there'd be nothing I'm getting cut off from. The issue is that it's not my job to tell you how I feel, right? My job, and, and even in this show, right? I am the host of this, right? As a sportscaster at K2N, you don't want me to have an opinion. You don't want me to be opinionated about the stories I cover because then therefore I'm not covering the stories. I'm doing stories of, of, of telling, trying to get my point across, right? My whole point and why we even created Bo's Football Final is to bring up questions that are being asked, to bring up issues that, that are going on, to, to talk about a game that was just played, and then having two analysts on the show to talk about it and give their thoughts, right? And so this, you know, I just want to make that clear for anyone that's listening and everyone that's wondering about why am I not more opinionated? It's because you need me to not be opinionated. Trust me on this, right? We have enough opinions out there. We, my job is to be the non-opinionated one, right? It is to, to ask the coaches questions, ask the players questions, ask the analysts questions. And, and that's that, right? And, and now every now and then I'm human. We'll have a Bose football final mailbox question and I'll jump in there. But I try as hard as I can to not offer my opinion for that reason. All right. So I just want to just let that be known. All right. And just eliminate that thought of, of there's any fear for, of any of us being cut off from the program or cut off because trust me, zero access anyway. So I can say whatever I want and, and it's not going to change. I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to be any closer or any further away from the program. I'm just going to be what it is. All right. And that's just what it is. Now, RJ, uh, Rich is talking about budget. Rich is talking about the monetary issues that come along with this program. And, and you lit up when Rich was talking about that. So please elaborate on, on what you feel could be an issue here. Well, I, I mean, Rob, you hit it right on the head. Fan is short for fanatic. People get emotional because you've been drinking and supporting your, your football team all of a Saturday, all of years, or, or whatever it may be. So emotionally, that's what you see. That's, that's what you feel, and you're using that to generate your feeling. And as much as people want to talk about, you know, oh, we should replace an OC, or, or we should get, you know, this coach, or we should have that coach, or nobody's talking about who's going to pay them. You know, everybody's talking about how much they would love to see Ty Graham improve, but forget Norm Chow won 10 games in four years, and that man got paid $500,000 a year. Quick math, $2 million for 10 games, $2 million. Rolo got bought out by a, all due disrespect, bottom-of-the-barrel Pac-12 team. So when he won 10 games and went to the Mountain West division title game and only 24,000 people showed up, went to the conference championship, nobody really flew out to the mass exodus for that. And then he gets bought out. Everybody's like, well, where, where's his loyalty? Where's his loyalty? Where's his loyalty? Nobody's asking, where's the money? <laughs> if Wazoo can put up $3 million for him, 
can UH do one? Because I knew Rolo personally. I would be willing to bet you if they could get up over a million dollars, he would have turned down what was left at Wazoo. Pandemic aside, everything probably would have went better, but let's not forget the pandemic came, so Rolo would have had to get fired anyway. There's an emotional <laughs> component of this that people do not get when you're drinking all day and you just have that one thing to, to, to fill you up, which is a UH win. And when it doesn't happen, you look for everything you can to be mad. It's like when one kid makes you so mad, you start getting mad at all your kids. It don't even matter. Get out of my face. Like the kid is, oh, I got all A's today. I don't care. Get out of my face. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm upset. You're not asking the general questions that you should be asking if you're thinking about this logically. Let's fire Bo Grant. Let's, let's say Bo's football final had the power. We have the power to fire whoever we want. We fire Bo Graham right now today, but we ain't got no money to pay the new coach. Who we go get? All these fans that are coming out the media saying we too soft, we don't do this, we don't do that. Okay, big shot. Open up your checkbook and get somebody that's qualified that's going to come make less money than their peers in a place that's 80% higher in the cost of living. Let's get an experienced OC for that. Todd Graham won double the games that a Royal won last year. Ask who makes more money. Oh, Ask how much close. more they make. Not even close. A Royal makes double what Ty Graham makes. And he won five games in four years, or five games his first year. A Royal won his second game in his second year on Saturday. 1.6 million went to him. TG gets 800,000. So while we're asking, oh, this person needs to be done, this person needs to be done, okay, great. Who gonna pay for it? If I want to get mad in an electronic store because I don't like the TVs and I start smashing them up, well, that's great. My opinion is I didn't like the TVs, but guess who's going to have to pay for it? Me. So if you're wondering, oh, well, we should have this, we should have that, we should do this, we should do that. Okay, Mr. Big Shot, you tell a team that had to build their own stadium, then get denied profits for two months after everybody else and has historically been in the red Tell them to hire a qualified, high-paying offensive coordinator with no money. Please, please, Mr. Whoever sent that Bowles football question, whoever, the group, the conglomerate, Bitcoin it, cash app each other. And I want y'all to go out and find a OC that's going to fit your qualifications and you're going to be able to pay. You do that, then everything you say has backing. If not, hey. This is the position that the school is in. It's more than just what's happening on the field. There's financials. There's, you know, government laws. There's all types of stuff that goes into how this university can perform as a football program. And I think a lot of people are not paying attention to that. Yeah, Rich. Hey, Rob, let me just follow up on that because there's, there's some truth, obviously, to not having the finances you would like to have and having a 36 million dollar workout facility having a 1.9 billion dollar stadium but even todd graham said this when interviewed the one thing and maybe the reason biggest reason aj bianco signed that some of these other recruits have decided to come to hawaii because it is hawaii so you sell hawaii so when june jones put together his coaching staff that was rated a d minus by sporting news in 1999 because there were two or three high school coaches. There was two media guys, myself and Dennis McKnight. There wasn't the payroll. He took a huge pay cut to come back to Hawaii because he loved Hawaii. And here's the deal, bro. We all had to work two jobs because we knew that's the only way to provide for our families. Is that fair? Is it correct? 
No, but that's Hawaii. And the finances aren't going to change anytime soon unless a Sheldon Alderson or a Fertitta or some of these other guys that actually have billions of dollars, Pierre Omidy or Steve Case, and, 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 and a plethora of, of multi north of $100 million guys in Hawaii. But it's, again, choosing somebody who understands Hawaii, who loves Hawaii, who is going to choose a staff that's going to be able when you choose all young guys, Elite Terry's a heck of a coach. Marcus Davis is a heck of a coach. You know, a lot of these guys are really good coaches, but they will take the money because they have to. But when you have a diversity in age, diversity in culture, but the one thing that permeates throughout the staff is their love for Hawaii, you have a chance for stability. And that means you have a chance to continue the type of offense you're running, the defense you're running, the people you're recruiting, the culture you're trying to recruit. So it's not impossible with a limited budget, but it has to be the right fit. Yeah, I mean, the, the stars need to align like they did in 1999, where you had a staff that was all com they, they, comparable and, and you know, they, they're, they're able to be compatible and, and I mean, all these things. And that's just something that, that you're not seeing right now. And, you know, it, it needs to be worked on. And I think that no one's going to deny that. And Todd Graham is such a, he's such a, an adjuster, right? Even within game, within drives. I mean, that's why when Rich Miano brought up that, after every de defensive uh, situation, you get to the sideline. I mean, there is a legit meeting right there, and he's in the center of it is because that's what he does. He makes adjustments at every part of that game. And so if you think Todd Graham's going to go into an offseason and not make adjustments, you know, I, I, I think that that's what I'm expecting. I think that's what any, everyone should expect. There's going to be adjustments made. Will it be enough to turn this program around? Who knows, right? But I, I'll be the first to say that, this is a time that that is sketchy for a fan because not only are you seeing a team losing right now on the football field, but you know if you made the trip here to Las Vegas and you look around at the stadium that UNLV is playing in and you look at the facilities that they have and you're thinking like, okay, UNLV has been at the bottom of the West Division for all of eternity since the creation of the Mountain West Conference and right. this is what they have? And then you look back and you say, all right, so UH just played in Clarence T.C. Ching stadium and there's uh there's you know plans to to add to it here over the the few years in hopes that maybe one day the new aloha stadium will be built but a lot of people are hoping that maybe the stadium project will fall apart and some of that money can go to the uh and uh can build a better stadium on campus you know but while all that's going on you can't serve food and drinks and you can't have children at your games i mean it's ridiculous right i mean it goes yes. on, and on and on the university of hawaii is digging a hole right now and it's going to take an incredible effort by everyone to get out of it i'm just being real like i mean that that's what it is there are shovels in the ground right now and there is a hole being dug and i don't think it's all on athletics director david Mallon. i don't think it's all on todd graham i don't think it's all on bo graham i don't think it's all on the players i don't think it's all on boosters but when you add that all up every single one of those things that I mentioned need a lot of help, right? They, none of them can do it alone. But when you look around at the, the other programs within the Mountain West Conference, Rich, you and I went to Boise, everything paid for by Albertsons, a big booster there in Boise, right? It, uh, uh, a company done good that, that was rooted in Boise, and that's why you see money going there. Where is that in Hawaii? 
right? Does the does does the state of Hawaii have none of that, or are they do they just have companies that aren't willing to to be a part of the program? Um, you know, do, does the University of Hawaii not have enough uh, hands out uh, begging for help and and trying to create the help? Um, and you know, and like I said, it, it's gonna take a whole lot more than one person or one group of people to get this done. The University of Hawaii, this is a crossroads right now. And I think it starts with these next two games. And, and what can you do uh, to finish this year out in, before you start making your adjustments, before you start doing your recruiting uh, or your final pitches at recruiting? Um, and, and that's the last thing I want to just leave with you guys is, Rich, how important are these two weeks to the rest of the foreseeable future for the University of Hawaii football program? I think extremely important. RJ alluded to that. You know, do they have love? Do they have a belief in the coaching, uh, the coaches? Do they have a belief in the direction of schematics? Do they have a belief in one another? Do they enjoy playing at an arena that you can't have your, you know, your siblings come to and possibly, you know, they can't eat and, and, and is it going to be Aloha Stadium in three, five, ten years? Is it going to be the University of Hawaii, as you mentioned, future facilities. Will there ever be a sports performance center? Uh, will there ever be the kind of things that they're seeing their peers in terms of apparel, in terms of, you know, training table, in terms of, you know, eating Subway sandwiches for, you know, traveling seven road trips and 47,000 miles? I mean, you're right, Rob. This program is at a crossroads, and we have to all, you know, the only thing we can do individually is by season tickets, you know, uh, fundraisers, whatever we can do. Corporations need to step up. Some big booster needs to step up. But we, if we don't all start rowing and paddling in that same direction, I promise you, we're going to be talking about that the rest of my short life. I'm almost 60 years old, bro. So, you know, I just hope that this program decides to make the right changes and people all get on board and support this program. And uh, I think you always allude to the passion is there. But are we losing the season ticket holders based upon this COVID pandemic, this lack of offensive identity, this T.C. Ching arena, the no food, whatever else? Again, I always say that if you change somebody's habits on a Saturday night, good luck getting them back. And it seems like from the premium seating licensing years ago to the inconsistent plays of the Noam Chow era, you know, some of the Greg McMacken stuff, you know, can we ever get back to even – filling up a 35,000-seat arena once we finally, in 2007, filled up a 50,000-seat arena. It's just Hawaii deserves better because, to me, it's about the children. It's about the culture. If you lose the Sony Open, if you lose the Mary Monarch, if you lose Division I football, it's not just the Division I football. It's Wahine volleyball. It's the ability to continue to build facilities that our athletes deserve and envision, and we want to provide for them. R.J. Hollis. Well, yeah, I mean, with, with me at this point, it's just like I said, it's the love thing. And I think that's kind of something that has to, you know, it's going to be hard for, for the fans that have been through it the last couple of years, the pandemic and all that stuff. But the monetary part is something that will fix itself. Once UH gets enough money, they'll put it in the right places and stadiums will get built, coaches will get hired, all that good stuff. My thing is that, there has to be some type of love that's going to be established generationally. Now, it may not seem big, and it may be confusing when I'm saying this, but, you know, on Saturday night, 
after, well, Saturday morning, watch the UNLV game, but then Saturday night, I watched the Kahuku Mililani game. Now, that's always a great OIA game. They didn't have as many people as the T.C. Ching, you know, uh, first home game, which was kind of a running joke and people were wondering. But one thing you saw is at the end, Kahuku did the haka that they always do. And if you looked in the crowd, there were people that were way older than them that knew it. To me, that's one thing that's always made me jealous of, of that community. It isn't the winning. It isn't the titles. It isn't that they're getting a new stadium or anything. It's the love that's passed from generation down to generation. It kills me that I only met Colt Brennan one time before he passed. It kills me that I only met Vince Manawai one time, and the only thing I can say to him is, what's up? When we talked about retiring jerseys, you know, uh, back when Colt Brennan had his jersey retired earlier in this season, the reason I brought up Rich Miano is not only because of the accolades that he had while he was a player, while he was a coach, it was his ability to bring together former alum for this university and to have a love and a camaraderie that you almost never feel while you're there. Now, that to me is what needs to go on now. These seniors are, are going to leave with the losing season, and that's a, a heartbreaker. But don't lose contact with these juniors. And when these juniors turn seniors, they don't lose contact with their juniors. And then it gets to a point where this whole team leaves this university, but they're still talking to people that are here. They're still involved. They're still coming around. They're still coming to practices. They're still proud. They're still hanging their jerseys up and hoping to get on a Bulls football final. You know, so the financials will take care of itself. But for every player that is there right now, for every fan that feels like this is something that's going to go downhill, everybody has to fight as hard as ever to pull that love out and try and rekindle whatever point it is you're trying to chase of UH football, whether it's the great – 06 season or even before that when you know Nick Rolovich and that team beat a number one team and that game was almost sold out you know so there's history there's legacy there there are great players that have played this before you they're going to be great players after you there has to be some way for somebody to find a way to connect those generations to connect those fans and use that as your unity and I think that in and of itself will take care of a lot of problems that money can't even fix. Yeah, very well said. And, and like you said, I mean, you bring up a good point to where players come, coaches come and go, players come and go, right? Athletics directors come and go. Right. And then they're gone. Everybody within the, the one thing that stays, right, is, is the product itself. Is that this is all a machine and everyone's just a little gear. And those, you know, if that gear leaves, it's not like the, you know, you know Cole Brennan leaves the program right after his after his senior season. You know that the next guy is not going to be as good as Cole Brennan. Doesn't mean you fold the program, right? You just get a new gear, you put it in. Maybe that gear is not good enough, but the hope is that the machine can continue, right? And and so that's the thing to always remember, right? Is that the the fan base is the constant, and that is really you know the the H is the most important thing, and so hopefully that that. Everything that the University of Hawaii needs to succeed, they can find. But right now, you're in a part of time that you're trying to build that machine. And so we'll see what happens. But these next two weeks, very important. Colorado State Senior Night. So many seniors that went through a lot 
here in their time and, and, and not even to mention a pandemic that no other t era had ever had to, to go through in, in, in regards to University of Hawaii football. And so they should be celebrated for all their contributions and they should be celebrated for even this season. It's not the win total that the fan base wanted, but these guys went out there and did the best they could and they should be celebrated. And then, of course, at the end of the year, it's at Wyoming, a tough task to end the year. Uh, but two very important games for this program. We'll see what happens. But no matter what happens, we'll be here on Bo's Football Final to talk about it. We want to thank everybody who listened to the podcast and also sent in questions and comments. I want to make it very clear that, that, that I'm not bashing anyone. I'm not, you know, fighting against anyone. It's... You know, questions were asked, and I gave my answers, and Rich gave his answers, and RJ gave his answers, and, and that's all it is at the end of the day, right? It is, this is how we feel, that's how you feel, and uh, that's what makes sports great, is that we can, you know, now go on and live another day and talk about this a, another time. So, uh, we appreciate it. Much mahalo, everybody. Again, Bose Football Final every Monday morning, KH12.com, and anywhere you download podcasts. For Rich Miano, for RJ Hollis, I'm Rob DeMello. Have a great day, everybody. Take care of each other. Aloha.